What's going on guys, my name is Alden Hero and welcome to episode 6 of my 13 Reasons Why review. In this episode we will pass the threshold of halfway through this show. So we're going to be halfway towards understanding all of the reasons why Hannah Baker committed suicide. Um, so yeah, thank you for all the support so far on the episodes. I hope you guys are still enjoying them. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud or iTunes, I will leave the YouTube link in the description because there's some like pretty pictures on the screen that might help you to, uh, you know, remember which scene I'm talking about. I would actually be really interested to know how many of you have already seen every single episode in the show. Like, leave a comment and let me know if you've already watched it. And if you're watching it at my pace, leave a comment and let me know that too, because that would be kind of helpful, I think. It would be nice to know what level the audience is at when it comes to watching the show. Um, the way I do this is I kind of describe it scene by scene and my reaction to it or else what I think the scene is trying to say. Um, I don't know if I'll necessarily always do my reviews like that because they're quite lengthy and while that's, you know, very in-depth and precise, um, I don't know that it's necessarily helpful or, uh, I don't know, it's not very concise anyway, and I think that I could maybe do a little bit better in that department, so um, I don't know how long this episode is going to be, <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll see how we get on anyways. Let's get into the review. This episode explodes into life right from the get-go. There's a calming aerial shot of a 2D-looking Liberty High where we see a bleach blonde headed figure almost get run over. And it's obviously Alex because he's the only one whose hair shines brighter than the sun. And it was Monty who almost ran him over with Justin in the passenger seat. From what I can tell, Monty made his first appearance in the last episode as kind of an idiot creep, like a cross between Justin and Bryce, with Justin's meat-headed lack of sensibilities and Bryce his testosterone. This subhuman can only conjure up laughter after nearly running his friend over. Alex goes absolutely insane and tells Monty to get out of the car, implying that he's gonna beat the fuck out of him. The two launch into this brawl where Alex just takes every single fall badly. He could not have fought a worse fight than this and he does nothing close to covering himself in glory. Hannah drones on in the background about some dollar valentines thing that I've never heard of, but all our attention is focused on the fighting here. We see cuts to the past where Hannah reveals that she realized maybe or she sort of logically came to the conclusion that clay was in fact a perfect fit for her but again the only thing consuming my attention here is the fight i am so uninterested with hannah's intro to this show i think it might be her weakest intro yet but one of the strongest overall in the show it's eventually broken up as mr porter comes in in like the lamest way possible and i have to say that this guy in general is just far from believable as a guidance counselor like he said in the last episode that he went to a school where kids shot at each other regularly and if he was true to his word you'd think he'd be able to convincingly break up a fight and ferociously inform these kids that they're in serious trouble. Instead he's just really hushed and dumbfounded. And it's kind of off-putting, and to be honest, it's unconvincing. Clay gets approached by Sherry, who doesn't quite beg him for all of his attention, but she's not far off it either. He agrees to help her with an assignment, and we get a flashback of Clay helping Jeff with his assignment, and Jeff, in return, helping him with his dollar valentine. It's sort of shown in this scene that 
Jeff is not going to set the world on fire with his brain power, but he does have the charisma. And Clay and Jeff combined are like the complete human. Uh, it would be like an attractive, charismatic, really intelligent um, extroverted person, whereas Clay is a really intelligent introvert and Jeff is a less than intelligent extrovert. He implies at one point that one of the founding fathers was high as balls because he enjoyed hemp oil or uh, something to that effect. I can't remember specifically, but Clay is so diplomatic in the way that he tells him how to actually do his homework. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, it's good, but you could add in a little bit more facts and, you know, not use Google. But he says it in a much less sarcastic way than I do. I'm not really capable of being sincere. I only have sarcasm to work with, and that's why I am not as good a person as Clay. But it's at this point in the scene that I realized this dollar valentine thing is going to play a key role in the episode. If you watch the episode, which you obviously did because you're here to listen to me review it, you'll know what it is. It's basically a matching system that takes broad questions and narrows the answers to find suitable matches for each person. We learn in a flashback that Hannah's number one match is Bryce. And this makes mostly no sense, but given Bryce's predatory nature, I am suspecting foul play here. Also, one thing I want to say about the Dollar Valentine's thing, if you still have no idea, because the book, I believe, was written 10 years ago. I'm not 100% on that, but off the top of my head, I think 2007 sounds accurate. There was barely Twitter at this time, and there was definitely no Tinder. So if you want to imagine Dollar Valentine as a paper Tinder, that's basically what it is. It, it's it's basically an algorithm that just matches answers and, uh, and spits out matches as a result of who is close to what. But it, it's never going to be great either, because as I just discussed, Clay and Jeff, really good friends, almost nothing in common, and yet they fit very well. So the whole idea of using this Dollar Valentine's thing as a way of telling anything is ridiculous. But it's secondary school. It's high school, man. And uh, that's just what it was like at the time, even for me. Marcus rings Hannah in the hallway, and he wants to tell her that he had her as his number one on his Dollar Valentine's. Um, he attempts to arrange a date, and Hannah says she'll think about it. And with that, we find out that this is Marcus's tape. Alex and Montgomery sit down to face the honor board, which is a bunch of students, including Marcus and Courtney and Clay. You can literally see the cynicism in Clay's face before he even says anything here. And he's getting darker and bolder and just like more and more fed up with everyone's shit in every episode. And I actually really like it. I really like where they're going with Clay. I knew he was going to say something that would draw a parallel between the incident and Hannah's death. And sure enough, maybe it's all of your faults is the thing that he says. The scene is then punctuated by Hannah saying, if only someone else had me on their list. This could have been so much different. Now, we're supposed to feel frustration here at Jeff's meddling with Clay's list and use that as a reason for Hannah and Clay's continued lack of a relationship because what happened was Jeff was like, this is a bad answer, this is a bad answer, I'm going to give you good answers. As if good answers equals good girlfriends, which equals good relationships, which is obviously untrue, because the whole point of it is that you answer them honestly, and it finds people based on your honest assessment of yourself. However, honestly, this is all on Hannah. This is nothing to even do with Clay or Jeff at this point. She knows full well that Clay, at the very least, has a crush on her, even though it's obviously more than that. And she knows this. She even hinted at it herself in, I believe it was episode one, 
when she called him out on it, like she she told him that he shouldn't be jealous of Justin. Like she seemed very confident and very aware of his low level infatuation of her at that point. Um, but I've I've also said in a previous episode that it's damn clear to me that Hannah will only date someone of a sufficient social stature. And in this case, she'd only consider Clay if he begged her enough or if he just became a different person. There's basically a point that Clay has to reach before she'll consider going out with him. And it's sort of hinted a little bit later that it's just for him to merely ask. But she has boxed herself into this corner by only dating people of a certain social stature before. And it's annoying because it portrays her as not only shallow, but as someone who doesn't lead with their emotion or let their emotions influence their decisions. And this is such a difficult character to sympathize with at times. I know I've said it a million times. We're also treated to this painstakingly awful, awkward scene at the cinema where Clay and Hannah talk about the dollar valentines and Clay takes out a shotgun, aims it at his foot and squeezes the trigger. Then Hannah calls Marcus and sets up their date right in front of a doomed, onlooking Clay. Then we see the honor board suspend Monty for three days and let Alex off with a warning. And at Monet's, where Clay and Sherry are having their study date, we get reintroduced to Skye, who Jeff referred to as Twilight. This is the goth girl who is absolutely not a teenager at all, and it turns out is super jealous of Sherry. And it's actually a really jarring scene listening to her go on and on about how she thought Clay was cool. The whole thing is her being like, oh no, I just didn't think that you'd go out with a black cheerleader. No, no, I just I just thought that, I just thought that you were cool. She doesn't actually say the word black, I just added that in because I thought it'd be funny. But that's the way that it is. It's her basically saying, I just thought that you would want to go out with someone like me, but I hate everything and make myself completely unapproachable. So, you know, I'm angry at myself and I'm taking it out on you. Sherry morphs into Hannah as we go back to the past and learn that Marcus stood Hannah up on their date, which is just bad form. Back in Monet's as Tony enters the building, surprise, surprise, haven't heard from him in a while, Clay suggests that he and Sherry leave and go back to his place because Clay is sick of the sight of Tony and I am sick of the sight of Tony. So uh, straight up, I agree with Clay. Clay confronts Tony before leaving and Tony introduces him to Brad, who we presume is his new boyfriend. Brad asks Tony question after question, and Tony gives vague answer after vague answer as if he's Sean Spicer taking questions in the White House. Jessica attempts to speak to Justin, and also she attempts to do something stronger than speaking, but he physically pushes her away from him and causes her to tear up. It's quite a disturbing scene in some ways. Justin's clearly in a bad place here, but the meat in his head is just too thick to let any thoughts come out, so he's wallowing in his own stupid sadness. Jessica leaves his house, says that he can be a real prick at times, and she steals a bottle of vodka on her way out of his flat. Elsewhere, as Clay gives his thesis on the book he's helping Sherry with, they get pretty close and eventually they kiss. This is a magical and immense moment. Nah, just kidding. But I do reckon that this will cause Clay to feel all kinds of emotional conflict, and he's not exactly keeping his demons at bay right now. He's not in Alex territory, but he is absolutely brimming with angst, and I feel like this will only increase his levels of self-loathing. But before we see where that goes, we check in on the other half of the would-be love story as a lonely Hannah sits at her table, and Marcus walks in with four of his jock friends, all kitted out in their jock jackets, 
Marcus uses his charisma to get back in Hannah's good books, and again, the fact that she can overlook the seriously obvious faults with this guy just because he smiles and gives her attention only adds weight to the argument that she's really shallow. We jump back to Clay's room, where he and Sherry have a tense moment of indecision, which leads to a confession from Sherry. She starts to well up, and Clay is like, oh, why, what's wrong, what's, what's happening? We learn that Sherry is on the tapes. She won't say what she did, but she attempts to convince Clay to stop listening to them. In Clay's mind, this has just become a full-blown conspiracy, and everyone is in on it, trying to bring him down so that he'll surrender the tapes. What Clay thinks is that Sherry only wanted to even get that close to him so that she could convince him to destroy the tapes. He doesn't know how deep the wormhole goes, but like he's damn sure that there's some serious serious shit hidden in those tapes and it (laughs) should be said that he does not seem determined to figure it out because he's listening to them at such a slow pace but anyway the dark tone temporarily lifts as the brightness from yesteryear lights up the screen what i mean by that is every single scene from the past is basically drenched in like a Serpia Instagram font and that's how you know it's in the past. As well as, as someone said in the comment section of the last episode, if you want to know if it's in real time or the past, look for the scar on Clay's head and, and that's true. That's a thing I noticed before as well. Basically, in this scene, Hannah is still giggling at Marcus's dumb jokes and he really smoothly moves around to her side of the table and puts his hand on her knee. She's visibly uncomfortable and motions to move away, but she doesn't really have anywhere to go to. And to really drive home how much of an awful person Marcus is, he looks over his shoulder at his jock bros before leaning in for a kiss on Hannah. She tells him to get away and eventually pushes him out of the seat. This is another one of those really harrowing scenes. It's not quite as bad as Bryce in the liquor store, but you really do get a sense of the target that's been placed on her as a result of the rumours and Alex's list. Everyone wants a piece of Hannah because they think she's easy, and it's not even her own fault. She describes this as something she feels guilty for, which only makes the emotion even more grim, and it actually makes the sympathy stronger. This show is like two separate shows sometimes, one showing a vulnerable, sweet, and innocent teenager getting harassed, assaulted, and victimized to the point of suicide, and another showing an emotionless control freak who throws hissy fits when things don't go her way. It can be really hard to reconcile the two shows with one another, And as we pass the halfway mark for the series, I'm starting to wonder if it's ever going to make total sense to me, if there'll be a moment of complete clarity, or if I'll always have an internal debate as to how sympathetic I allow myself to be towards Hannah's character. As Clay sits alone on his bed sobbing, his mother walks in and asks if he's okay. He says he's fine, and you can see from some really good acting here that his mother strongly considers accepting this answer and walking out of his room, but she finally puts her foot to the floor and shows an iota of responsible parenting, asking him again what's wrong and insisting he's not fine. The conversation shifts to the case with the school, and Clay's mom asks if he's being bullied. Clay asks her what she would think if he was the bully, and she says he wouldn't be the bully, he's a good kid, and then Clay says maybe there aren't any good kids, and that right there is basically 
the point of the first half of this series. With each reason and each new character, we always get contrasting moods and personality types within that one person. I think the best example of this is probably Alex, because he's someone who walks the line between good and bad. He's self-aware in the sense that he knows he's bad, and he does some good things, but he's also like partially committed to being bad. Maybe Jessica too. I think she shows a lot of inner turmoil. There's flashes of good in Justin from time to time. Or maybe if not good, then there's potential good in him. Because there's a sense that his transgressions are not in his control. And they're down to his rough household situation. Clay is clearly harboring some serious guilt as well. And it's very obvious that he's burdened by the thought of listening to his tape. Otherwise he would be speeding through them right now. I haven't mentioned it in this episode yet, or really at all, but I actually really like Olivia and Andy, Hannah's parents. They seem like they're both good people and they're strong together. It's also comforting to know that they're as confused as us at times, because at least this means that the show itself is acknowledging the inconsistencies in Hannah's character, and that's actually one of the things that gives me hope that this will all come together with a bang. There's a scene here where Olivia is filling up a vase, or a vase, a vase? I think I say vase, and it overflows, which obviously symbolizes the notion that there's only so much it can take, just like there's only so much that Hannah can take, and that with every episode, a new thing gets piled on, and that's a thing that we can actually forget about. Like, it's a thing that I forget about when I watch the show. We also see a scene with Jessica, and it's an interesting one. We learn that she has a loving father, which makes her one of the few living characters in the show who actually have one of those. When he suspects that she's sad, he asks her if it was Justin Foley being mean to her. The fact that he knows his daughter's boyfriend's full name is an example of a responsible parent. I'm willing to bet hundreds of dollars that Clay's dad doesn't even know Clay's full name. Another thing in this scene is that I actually initially suspected that Jessica stole the vodka from Justin's house because his mother is likely an addict and it'd be a good, albeit very immoral way of getting revenge for her because it'd probably make Justin's life a lot harder. But actually it's for her to drink, which says all kinds of negative things about her character. I feel like she's gonna learn some stuff in the next few episodes that will change the course of her character, but that's really just speculation from me. Meanwhile, Alex and his dad have a talk while the dad cleans his gun, because manly. He says that Alex showed strength of character and that they might not agree on everything, but they can agree on that. The irony, of course, being that Alex absolutely does not agree with that assessment at all. It's also interesting that after that, his dad says, All right, kiddo, that's all I got. As if it's like, Okay, son, this is all the emotion I can spare for you today. Uh, this episode closes out with Jessica talking about headstones um, and things that can be written on them. And the words, I wonder what, what'll be left on mine, or I wonder what'll be written on mine, something like that is how the show, this episode, closes out. And it's interesting because I think apart from the fact that she says, that's right, it's me, alive uh, and in living color, or whatever it is she says in the intro to the show, this is the first kind of reference she makes to the fact that she is going to kill herself. And she does it halfway through recording the tapes, which we know because we're on episode six, tape number six. So this is obviously something that's etched in her mind. And I don't know how I feel about 
that overall. Like, I know that she made the tapes with the notion of committing suicide after, and that that was the whole point. But you would imagine that someone participating in this kind of exercise, it wouldn't... There has to be a point where it becomes therapeutic in some way. Like, this is what I was talking about when I said in a previous episode that there is nothing Hannah could tell a therapist. There's no question that a counsellor could ask her to make her reshape her sadness and her decision for suicide. And that's why it's so strange that she has already decided it and she's only halfway through recording the tapes. Like, there's a lot of evidence to show that suicide is often an impulsive decision and the reason people commit suicide is because they're depressed and the reason for that is a chemical imbalance in their brain. And we know that that's just not really evident in Hannah's character yet. But as I have to say at the end of every episode, it does change with each thing that gets piled onto her. So we'll see what happens in the next episode. I enjoyed this episode. I didn't enjoy it as much as the one before because I feel like less happened. Um, That being said... I am enjoying the show overall. I think what I'll do is I'll give it one final rating at the end out of 10. And uh, you guys can see if you agree with me or not. But yeah, that's the end of this episode. It's the end of this review. Hopefully you guys liked it. If you did and you'd leave a like on the video, I would be really grateful. Um, Yeah, I guess that's that. I've been Eldenero. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 